0: I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2016 Strip Till Farmer Podcast Series. Today's program, Banding vs. Broadcast, Comparing Strip Till Fertilizer Application Strategies, is being brought to you by Thurston Manufacturing, manufacturers of BlueJet Products. If you're tuning in for the first time, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this series currently available on iTunes, the Google Play Store. SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if there's another app you use for listening to podcasts, let us know. We'll make every effort to get it listed here as well. And by subscribing, you'll be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. And thanks again to Thurston Manufacturing. For more than four decades, Thurston Manufacturing has been an innovator in fertilizer injection and conservation tillage equipment. Over that time, large acre farmers have found BlueJet to be synonymous with durability, low maintenance, and return on investment. A founding title sponsor of the National Strip Tillage Conference, BlueJet's Strip Tracker was the first strip till implement to combine onboard fertilizer carrying capacities with a stretched and staggered row unit. Visit www.blu-jet.com or call them at 800-658-3127. Well, as we close in on the fall, this is the time of year when combines are getting ready to roll in the field but farmers are also strategizing for an economical and efficient fertility program for the upcoming year. For many strip-tillers, their annual series of nutrient applications starts after harvest. And according to the third annual strip-till benchmark operational study, fall strip-till proved to be the most popular timing for the third year in a row, with more than 42 percent of farmers getting back into the field after harvest. The study also revealed that about 66 percent of strip-tillers banned fertilizer in the strip, while another 28 percent mix nutrients into the berm with their strip-till rig. As more areas face the threat or reality of increased regulation as to when and how fertilizer can be applied, strip-tillers have an advantage to leverage the practice to target nutrients in the root zone and minimize loss. With experiences both fall and spring strip-tiller, Shell Rock, Iowa farmer Jeff Reince has experimented with different application methods, timing, and testing to maximize the return on his fertilizer investment. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, brought to you by Thurston Manufacturing, we welcome Jeff and his son Clay to share their trial and error approach to comparing the benefits of banding fertilizer versus broadcast application as well as some considerations for fall and spring applied fertilizer in a strip-till system.
1: Jeff and Clay Reince were farmers up in Shell Rock, Iowa, Butler County. Northeast Iowa, kind of between Waterloo and Charles City, is kind of the easiest way to describe it. Uh, you yeah. know, we're a fourth-generation family farm. Uh, when I grew up, my learning curve back in when I was in high school in the late '70s was Dad had an 1850 gas Oliver and a five-bottom all-board plow, and at night and the no-cab on that Oliver. That's why I can't hear worth a darn anymore. Uh, what was fun, you could set that moldboard plow, and you could get a blue flame coming out of that Oliver. You, I didn't care about the depth of what I was plowing. I just wanted that blue flame out the top of the tractor at night as I was going up the hills. But uh, our soils were gently rolling. We're about an, a third A slope, third B slope, third C slope, the Kenyan Floyds, the rocky, somewhat tighter clays in places. We get in some of the real tight Crotevin, Cresco soil types too like you do farther up in northeast Iowa. The first thing, I don't care whether you're strip tilling, conventional tilling, uh, whatever, if you need drainage, spend the money there. Don't skimp on that. Uh, Strip till will not cure bad drainage. Conventional farming won't cure bad drainage. we're fortunate we have a plow manufacturer right that we trade a lot of work with, uh, Johnson tile plows. Many of you probably are familiar with his stuff. We do some welding work for him and trade farm work and stuff. And then occasionally, on a reddened farm, if you don't quite have it all tiled, that's what happens. We kind of, like I say, I grew up. Dad was a conventional farmer and. You know, we could see the soil getting tighter and erosion, and he was conservation-minded, and so was I, and my first first attempt uh, was we tried no-till farming corn. We had every attachment on a planter you could throw on there from row cleaners and fertilizer openers and seed firmers and spike closing wheels and... It seemed like we were always planting into a wet, sticky ground. Very seldom did we have just ideal conditions. Then I evolved into the Ross and Zone-Till system. Not a bad system. We could put on all our nitrogen as we were planting. But there again, that planter was running in wet, sticky conditions. And in northeast Iowa, there isn't just those perfect, ideal days all spring. Uh, Then we kind of rolled into... I started to experiment with a homemade shank machine, just used parts we had on the farm. Those were my anhydrous shanks. They were a DMI True Tracker, I believe was the name of them, on an old John Deere 7000 planter frame. Robbed the John Blue pump off the Rawson through the saddle tanks on the 1086, and I was strip tilling. Uh, kind of worked, we could put some liquid P&K on in the fall, then actually I followed up with the Rawson after that. So we had a little bit of dry dirt to work with. And then then we went to, it was a 12 row a little bit, then we went to eight row. Uh, This was a progressive bar. Uh, We have rock in our country. Every shank progressive sent me, we destroyed. Then they came up with this hydraulic reset. One was made by a company in Hazelton, or Old Wine, Iowa, Quality Plus. And we ran that for quite a few years and had pretty good luck. Then in about 08, our farming operation expanded. Uh, uh, Young man, Bruce Swinton, had worked with us for years. He had an opportunity. He rented 800 acres up by Clarksville and no longer was eight row equipment enough. So we went to 16 row and we switched to the spring strip-till. Uh, this was the first Friesian toolbar to come out of Storm Lake, out of Harvest International. Uh, this bar was designed by Milford Friesian, who, if you remember in the 90s, you know there was the Friesian toolbars for the planters. Uh, Milford was just a genius of a designer of metal. He could draw more better drawing on a and literally a barroom napkin and the guys who know Milford will get that uh, than most people can on a CAD drawing. Uh, Milford always liked to say "Hey, went in and got a patent on that toolbar back in the 90s and went back to the patent lawyer. The lawyer said well how, how'd you do on your first patent Milford? He said, Oh not bad. I got got three customers the patent lawyer says Geez, that's not very good. Only three customers on that patent? John Deere, Case, and (laughs) Agco. I guess if you got those three customers, you pretty well got it covered. Uh, So we we ran that bar for six years, and it's still running. That went to a a gentleman in Janesville, Wisconsin, bought that from me last year, Uh, and went to the Dawn Spring Strip till units uh, for a couple of reasons. We wanted to go 16 row, 40 foot. We wanted to have less horsepower out front than a shank type machine. And we were having difficulty getting everything done in the fall with a shank type machine and doing the corn on corn in the fall. Uh, then this spring, or you can tell it's winter, even though that winter hung on for quite a while up here in Northeast Iowa. Then we're, this, this year we moved to the same brand of toolbar from Harvest International And this is a 60 foot or a 24 row system. We got the bar, then we started to marry all the components together. The Dawn Pluribus row units, uh, Montag cart and fertilizer delivery there. So we're applying dry fertilizer as we're spreading. Uh, And a little more horsepower for the 24 row, went to the four wheel drive tractor. The one thing we really like to do, the way we run the dawn pluribus, or the spring strip-till, we basically keep that strip-till rig about 24 hours ahead of the corn planter, give or take. Sometimes it's four hours, sometimes it's two days. We really like to hit that. You get that top grayed off a little bit. You don't have that sticky soil. You plant it within 24 hours. You seal back in that moisture. Uh, you have a very uniform uh, seed, seed bed to plant into, excellent uh, soil to seed contact. We prefer for doing corn on corn, not to do anything to it, just to run through what the combine left from last fall. Uh, we're typically eight, eight and a half mile an hour, occasionally nine mile an hour, So with a 60 foot rig, uh, the math that always sticks in my head is eight and a quarter mile an hour equals an acre per hour per foot of implement. So a 60 foot implement at eight and a quarter is 60 acres an hour. Uh, Granted, you don't get that all done every hour because you got a lot of fill up time on your fertilizer, but you're definitely staying ahead of the 24 row planter that's running at five and a half mile an hour. You know, you're working on a very clean strip, the residue is removed. Uh, Once that pans to the front of the planter, you'll see we have row cleaners on. They're turning, but just barely tickling, you know, if a little trash blew back into the strip. Uh, Precision, you know, precision planning, been to a lot of those meetings, and they're all talking about ride control and that measuring your down pressure on your row unit and that chatter. Uh, following this strip till pass, that planter unit is running about as smooth as like a boat on an early morning lake, you know, at 7 a.m. and had a ripple out on the lake. Uh, I remember planting a, I do some plot work for Monsanto, and then I got an uh, older mounted eight row planter and one area we had to field cultivate and had on this other tractor with the back window open. Those planter units were just, just chattering. You could just hear it all the time going across all those field cultivator marks. And then I moved out of that and finished some end rows and filled in a little part of the field where we strip-tilled. It was just dead silent. The planter just went totally smooth. You know, So what precision is telling you, okay, if we can, you know, level out that ride, make that uniform, and you're gonna gain some bushels that way. Well, I think we're already 90% there with the with strip-till pla- pass and keeping that planter running smooth. Typically, we run about five inches deep. Five inches deep, about eight inches wide. Oh, I think it, it could probably go six, six and a half. We're kind of about in the middle notch. On the gauge wheels, uh, And that brings up another point. I mean, you asked about ground speed, and we have rocky soils. Uh, that unit holds up real well to rock. And I mean, we pick up a rock, but you still have those that are you know, just an inch under the surface that you don't see. I mean, you'll smack into them, and yeah, one this year, I don't think we ever replaced a front bolt on the lead colder. Previous years, yeah, one or two times you're gonna snap that bolt or something, but they really hold up well. You know, we all read about having that corn all emerge within 36 hours or 24 hours. Where we're planting into that strip, that zone, uh, with real uniform moisture, we get that even emergence. I mean, we're getting that, everything coming out of the ground in that 24 to 36 hours. Uh, And our typical program on our fertility program, we're putting on all our P and K with the strip-till unit, and then about a third of our nitrogen needs. And that nitrogen is coming from, you know, the portion, the 18% that's in the DAP, And then we're also adding ammonia sulfate, or AMS, for the nitrogen and sulfur source. That's something we've added here in the last three or four years. We started, oh, probably about about then four or five years ago on the lighter soils that were showing some sulfur deficiency. Uh, Now it's just our standard program. And, you know, like we've all read, you know, now that we have all these tier four, tier four B motors, we don't have the sulfur in the air. You know, all the smokestacks are cleaned up. That We definitely need to be adding some sulfur to the soil. How much AMS do you put on? Uh, Typically about 75 pounds an acre is blended into our, our P&K blend. What's your other source for am besides this past? Your side dress? Yeah, then we side dress. Did with. We carry anything on the planter? No, no. The planter is just bare. No pop-up, no pop-up fertilizer on the planter. We'll get to that, <laughs> yeah. No, we have looked at it, but, but so yeah, we're getting a third of our nitrogen, say about 50 pounds, 45, 50 pounds on in the strip, you know, a day ahead of the planter, along with the P&K, and then the other 100 pounds on with the side dress with liquid 32% is what we use for a source. Usually comes direct out of Fort Dodge, gets delivered from our supplier there. Uh, If we're doing corn on corn, then we spike up our dry blend with another 100 pounds of urea. Then we're getting about 80, 90 units in the strip. Then we basically run the same rate again with our side dress. Just makes it convenient, uh, but we want a little more boost on that corn starting out on the the corn on corn. uh, No. question back there, if you didn't hear it, he was asking about root injury. No, at that rate, we're not seeing any root injury. I have played around with plots where I've doubled that P and K rate and put on enough urea for the whole year's nitrogen need. So we're blowing on like 700 pounds an acre in the strip, planted the next day, no root injury. I didn't like the yield effect from putting all my nitrogen up front, and we had a wet June that year, and you know, typical loss of nitrogen then. The side dress, for us, the split application of nitrogen has definitely been, been the way to go for us. We're, our organic matter, we have a fair amount of West Fork, Shell Rock, sand farms. They're in that one, one and a half percent. Uh, the bulk of the ground is probably in that three to four percent. Uh, On our better soil, it's in that mid-20s, low to mid-20s. That lighter ground is in that 8 to 12. Uh, We are on that lighter ground on that CEC. We may be, you know, there's a rule of thumb. It's uh, so many pounds of nitrogen per CEC. We're probably pushing that a little bit on that lighter ground. Uh, Down the road, I may work into a late nitrogen application with a Y-drop or something like that. I, I run a Hagee front boom sprayer, so we could easily add something like that, as long as time allowed. Are you using the high-capacity Montag air system? Yes. Yeah. It's a 24-row high-output Montag system. Are you using that even on your old system? Yes. Types? Yep. You can't quite go an eight and a half mile an hour. It's hard to get that much fertilizer, the old system. Yeah, yeah, at eight you wouldn't get seven hundred pounds through I mean we had to slow down to about five and a half to get that just that plot work done of that seven hundred pounds. But at, at our typical, you know, two seventy to three fifty, sometimes we'll be pushing four hundred pounds per acre. That we're not having any trouble at eight, eight and a half mile an hour getting that through. Uh no, we've gone completely away from fall strips. Uh, three big factors and one very important factor. The time, by the time we get done harvest, and I am a seed dealer too, and boy, they got you out there, we're knocking on your combine door, and we just plain run out of time to get done in the fall. If we're doing corn on corn, I had a hard time getting through that fresh, fluffy stalks. I like to see that stuff deteriorate over the winter, Uh, especially this marketing year. I'm not sure what my crop rotation is going to be. So I don't want to do my corn on corn yet. It may be 100%. I may be back to an even rotation. That's one thing I probably didn't say. We're probably about a 60-40 split on our crop rotation, you know, 60% corn. So we always got some corn on corn. So those couple factors and probably the biggest factor it makes a darn rough snowmobile trail (laughs) so with those factors and probably another real important factor is the erosion factor that fall strip has more time to be washed out i've seen that in the spring on you still got frozen ground, the fall strip warms up, actually almost kind of thaw out that fall strip and you get that kind of that odd two inch rain on frozen ground and, and not that we're totally immune from erosion either. We'll get that three inch piss pounder, you know, three days after planting and where some end rows go up and down the hill or, you know, just that contour isn't perfect. You can wash out that strip, yep. There's no doubt about that. Don't, don't let anybody tell you that, I mean, strip hill is a great erosion-saving practice, but nothing is perfect. But yet when I get called out, uh, say a, a customer nearby calls, hey, can you come look at my corn stand? Okay, we lost a little bit down a few hills, a few strips. He lost his whole field cultivator layer, and now he's down to about 10,000 stand with about 90,000 down along the waterway. And what do I do with that? Well, <laughs> I don't know. There's back to your starter and pop-up factor. Call a misguided strip, and Clay will talk about what we're using for guidance and stuff. For whatever reason, you know you came in off your headland turn a little off with the strip tiller or cell phone rang. Who knows what? You know. There, the corn row didn't get on the script, and you can definitely see that starter effect that we're getting from you know, our dry application, whether it's the nitrogen, the sulfur, the P, the K, combination of all of them. So I really feel we're already 90% there without doing a pop-up. I, I won't argue that maybe a pop-up in the right conditions would add just that little bit of edge, but for us, is it worth a whole nother tender and system, and slowing down the planter process? And then Clay will talk about what we're using for guidance. Yeah,
2: currently right now on the strip tiller, uh, we use a Trimble display, the FMX, uh, which we also use uh, passive guidance, where we have another receiver on the toolbar to help ensure that you know a true pass to pass. Try to really create a good um, symmetrical. Um, passes across a field and then we're doing that all uh, off of RTX correction so we, it, we're we actually very happy with it. We've run it the last two years and really really happy with it and then this year I uh, went further along and, and mapped out some fields with the gator and stuff off of RTX and then created boundaries and stuff and then created the actual AB lines through the fields and we were able to share those uh, between the strip tiller and the planter, just uh, you know, to get it even better, try to you know. But this this type of thing still happens. I'm sure it took days to find this field.
0: Yeah. No, yeah. Uh,
2: no, but uh, I mean, stuff happens, like he says, phone calls, whatever. And, and sometimes you think you're you're right on it, and you know you looked at the wrong line or whatnot. But but you know, this year I think we've really and it, it really does show. I mean. You can still throughout the year you can see that the end row or the rows that you weren't quite on it fully. But that's why you know, why we have that technology. We're trying to, you know, progress ourselves to you know start minimizing those risks.
1: Yeah, and then uh the GPS is controlling the montag, you know, just like the planner, you know, your planner's starting right at the end row and planning. And we program that in, you know, cause you gotta have the Montag, them fertilizer augers, turn on a little before you actually want it there cause you got that delay, especially on a 24 row. And I got, they didn't end up in here, but I got a couple pictures. You've all seen your spray boom, you know, when you didn't quite have the chemical to the end, and it just feathers at an angle there. You, you got grass and then no grass. Occasionally, you know, and it's, once a day maybe it happens for 20 feet so it's no big deal but we can just see that wedge the center row's got the fertilizer that corn's taller and you can just see that feather out as a as a strip tiller took across the field uh Call that a test plot. Yeah. yeah yeah everybody's got to have a test yep. plot one field right across from my dad's house we the outside row was plugged we didn't realize it for a couple rounds So it's two rows, you know, as they come together. Does he remind you of that? Oh, not too much. No, No, he's pretty under. The neighbors remind us. That's the trouble. The neighbors always got to remind you of that. And that's just the corn plants I dug out, the one that landed right in the strip, uh, and the other one that didn't land in the strip. And there, maybe that'll show a little bit. You know, as far as root burn and stuff, we're just not... Seeing any root burn from the way that Pluribus unit blends that fertility into that top five inches deep, eight inches wide. Any uh, root sliding your strips or anything? Any what? Any sliding No. No. Basically, and I'll explain this root display, but you know, like a hatchet root and stuff. I've dug a lot of those on other Customers' fields, you know, they plant a little wet and, boy, the corn just isn't coming. You dig it up and all you do is have a, a hatchet root then. Uh, no, we're not seeing that at all with the, with the pluribus units. And one thing I like, uh, some, even the guys at dawn will argue with me a little bit. Uh, well, hi, Jim. I didn't even see you there. Uh, about our case planner. The case uses that wide press wheel instead of the V wheels like a Kinsey and Deer. Uh, I think the two between the pluribus and that case planter are the perfect marriage there. That rear firming wheel firms that strip back up, seals that moisture back in there, uh, and that's just by chance. We didn't actually pick the case right. planter for that, yeah. but we can take credit for it anyway. Uh,
2: I mean, the, the, like this picture looks bad, but I mean it just shows how much nutrients is there. I mean, it's the I mean it looks like it's a triple planted seed there, but it's just throwing those suckers so quick. And and we had you know it's it's on a little quicker ground, so it had good excessive rains that helped it out. But I mean it just shows you how quick that picks it up.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, there's another one. I remember that particular field. I was finishing up with the strip tiller. Uh, Let's say, How many guys are strip tilling in here? Okay. Uh, How many are handling dry fertilizer? When the forecast calls for three days of three-inch rain, do you leave your applicator full of dry fertilizer, or do you try to have that thing completely empty at the end of the day? Okay, I see you're shaking your head. I mean, it... If you're new to strip and never handle dry fertilizer, that's a whole learning curve. It's not hard to learn, but a couple times of shoveling out a Montague hopper with a number eight spade, you learn real fast that that thing is empty when you got a big rain event coming. Especially with the night yeah. Yes? We found a little bit of oil dry or some kind of a, 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 a absorbent even helps. Oh, does it? days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's. we've had that, you know... One of those foggy, misty days, the neighbors still field cultivating, and we're out running dry fertilizer, and you're sucking in that fog in through there. You can run, but be aware, watch what you're doing. Uh, so, does it? I've never done that. I've wanted to play with that. We really don't have a supplier for that. Yeah. And then now, another, as we talk, then things pop in my head. Uh, our corn on corn acres in the spring, there again, on those damp, foggy days, I don't care what strip till rig it is, uh, it's kind of like combining beans. Some mornings you don't start till 9 o'clock, till that dew comes off and we'll purposely every spring you get that that absolute perfect four to five day sunny dry stretch we'll just move over and do our corn on corn acres then we you know we don't try and push that we've had that you get in some damp corn stalks and starts plugging you get frustrated just leave the field go do some bean ground or something or, or be patient i mean strip tilling is it's it's not totally idiot-proof. You got to manage it.
0: We'll be right back to Jeff and Clay's discussion, but I did want to take a moment and again thank our sponsor, Thurston Manufacturing and Blue Jet Products, for making this program possible. For more than four decades, Thurston Manufacturing has been an innovator in fertilizer injection and conservation tillage equipment. Over that time, large acre farmers have found BlueJet to be synonymous with durability, low maintenance and return on investment. A founding title sponsor of the National Strip Tillage Conference, BlueJet's Strip Tracker was the first strip-till implement to combine onboard fertilizer carrying capacities with a stretched and staggered row unit. Visit www.BLU-JET.com or call them today at 800-658-3127. Reflecting on the discussion so far, it was interesting to hear Jeff's logic for transitioning from fall to spring strip-till, with time and residue management being decisive factors. Adding crop rotation flexibility was also a benefit that Reince noted to respond as late as possible to market trends and try and take advantage of a growing crop that is going to provide the best economic return. Let's get back into the program now and hear more from Jeff and Clay Reince on lessons learned from an evolving fertility program.
1: Now we're going to get into kind of some philosophy on fertilizer and and what some universities will call removal rate. I call it broadcast rate. Uh, I had an opportunity rode with some guys out to Hefty's field day here just a week ago today. Uh, sat in on a fertility meeting, talked to Brian Hefty about it a little bit, and talked about because they're a strip till farmer too. Uh, you know, how, how do you toy this? You know, we can know we can reduce rates with our strip-till compared to what's called removal or broadcast rate. Well, Brian told me, he said, actually, that broadcast rate needs to be 50% more than removal rate to get the same effect. And I hadn't really heard anybody, especially a university guy, quote it, quote it that way, but that was Brian's take when I was talking to him after one of the breakout sessions there. Uh, and then, if you're broadcasting the rate, uh, couple examples, couple especially one customer up towards the green that always puts in a plot for me in the spring. He was complaining on the local co-op. Of course, co-ops change hands 14 times, and they can't keep good help. But uh, he said, "Boy, they're just I gotta I gotta do something with strip tilling." I go out there, I look at their broadcast rate, they didn't even get to that end of the field. Uh, He told the guy, because he was putting on urea, there was a new operator in the floater, I want this field double spread. The operator drove the same tracks twice. (laughs) I guess that's double spread. (laughs) So, you know, are you getting a good uniform application? from that floater running 25 mile an hour through the field. You know, as he's slowing down to make his turn, I know that conveyor belt isn't reacting exactly to that mile an hour change and stuff. Uh, So we, like these, after the meeting, or or you guys can walk up now, we made these root boards here. Uh, We put a plant every six inches ZZ Division makes the 34,500 stand uh, instead of trying to measure them six and an eighth the inch part. Uh, Basically each board represents a 30 inch row. We weighed out on a gram scale the exact amount of fertilizer what a 200 bushel corn crop needs there on P and K and and sulfur. Uh, We applied, this equals, 360 pounds an acre broadcast. If you measure, equate it all down, it's 307, 3.75 grams per square foot. That's what, if a floater went out there, that's what you should see on your soil. So I put the row of roots on there. Uh, I should have laid a 18.438 right here. I just wonder how much fertilizer I'm gonna get out of the center of the row when that was maybe tickled in with a field cultivator or vertical till about two inches deep. Uh, You're not gonna get much utilization of that fertility there. So then we go over to our strip till. Uh, I put on 75% of that removal rate. What the root is seeing is an equivalent of of 10.5 grams per square foot. So, you know, the number one rule in business is location, location, location. They didn't build this Marriott up in Shell Rock or Finchford or Clarksville, Iowa. They built it in Cedar Rapids because that's where the people are, the roots. Let's put our fertility in the location that we need it. Uh, Here, we got that up on the on the board there, the zoning effect, uh, and then bring up the next. So what that root mass is seeing in that strip is the equivalent of broadcasting 1,010 pounds an acre. And when you call up that local co-op with that jockey running the floater, and you order 1,010 pounds an acre, you will be getting a Christmas card from that (laughs) co-op, for sure because that would be one heck of a, uh, an order. Uh, and then we also have this uh, spreadsheet. It's a little small to read from the back. Kind of put in our, remo- our strip-till rate versus our conventional tillage rate. And then I got fuel usage at the bottom there. Basically when our combine leaves a field, we're four-tenths of a gallon of diesel away from planting the next crop. Uh, That's basically on our performance monitor, and we'll check it when we fill up the tractor. Uh, We're burning four-tenths of a gallon, putting on a third of our N, all our P and K, creating the strip, one pass, and we're planting. So, like on my operation, uh, that's $25,000 a year savings in fuel and fertilizer let alone, and I didn't factor in anything, on my corn on corn, if I was gonna pull a stock chopper, then a deep ripper, then a field cultivator, all those additional hours on that piece of equipment. Uh, Plus the the time and the labor savings all equates into that. And we're getting better utilization of our fertilizer and better yields. Uh, Last Sunday afternoon, we took some time, went out in the field, It pained both of us to reach in with a backhoe and destroy some of the best corn we've ever grown, but we did. Dug just kind of a narrow, quick root pit. I had to dig the roots for the display to clean up. Uh, No, and what we do when we're doing corn on corn, we go down the center of the previous row, and our beans, uh, just about all of them are Planted with a 15 inch row planter at an angle to the old corn rows. So, you know, you got a totally different set of traffic on that. When we go do it, we, we try to take about 50% out of the strip and 50% in between the row. Yeah, so we're, we're kind of using that 50% in the strip, 50% out. What are you doing with that information? Uh, looking at the pH, seeing if we need to lime more than anything. Our soil tests are maintaining. Uh, you know, We started with them all in the, what's called the optimum range now. We're maintaining that even though we're running a reduced removal rate. Uh, we're blending them together so we're not, so we're not sampling them individually, or we haven't yet. Uh, yeah, every other year we're moving that. You know, the corn plant isn't using hundred percent of what we applied there. I mean, your rock phosphate and potash doesn't all break down, uh, so you're you know you have some of that carried over to the next year for the bean crop. And... So I assume that you're grid sampling. No, we're more zone okay. zone and soil type, kind of like we're Jill. You're, you're, you're looking... Let's not feed the soil. Let's feed the crop that we're growing. Uh, you know, I can I can't go in the banker and say, Hey, look at my soil test. I'm up here and borrow any more money than then I can show him my proven yield of you know 210 bushel an acre, right down the center of the row. Nitrogen's a mobile unit. You got to have a little rain to move it in, and that'll move to that'll move a little deeper where your P and K pretty well stays where you put it. We side dress every acre of corn, uh, like say, and beside like. Well, in the introduction, I farm about 2,000 acres, but we're really three farmers farming together. Clay runs about 1,000 acres. Bruce has 800 acres. And then we custom farm. One Hertz farm management, one for my cousin. Sorry, equipment, the three of us are covering about 4,500 acres every year with the 124-row system and stuff. But And it takes a good operator. If you're looking at moving to strip-till, most of you guys are a strip-tillers, it's not the old retired factory worker comes out at night and runs a field cultivator for you you need a lot better qualified operator and that's where we're real fortunate all three of us bruce Prewall runs a strip tiller all the time and does a heck of a good job with it and learned all the way through as we we're learning and so that's we're real fortunate that way and here's some we came up with some bullet points on as we went to the Spring strip till, Uh, the big advantage for us, it was hard for us to get it done in the fall. We just ran out of time, you freeze up, you know, a later harvest. Uh, You maintain flexible crop rotations. Like when we finished up this spring, we we got that bulk of the corn done that May, whatever, 5th to the 11th, you know, Mother's Day. Then we got rained out. I still had about 20% of the corn to go. And that was corn on corn I had left. If it would have rained till June 1st, that could have went to beans like that, had no, you know, could have easily switched crops. Uh, The corn residue definitely has time to decompose with the winter, the snow. Uh, Less chance of eroding out the strip, I feel, with a spring strip till. Uh, We're definitely using less horsepower and less fuel than a fall shank machine. Kind of what, and we're running a faster ground speed and less fuel. Kind of, if you can pull a, an eight row shank machine, if you're that size, you can pull a 12 row pluribus three mile an hour faster than what you were pulling the eight row. If you're pulling a 12 row shank, you can go to a 16 row pluribus spring or colder type unit and three mile an hour faster. Same way if you're pulling a 16 row shank, you could easily go to a 24 row Pluribus. Uh, easier to see the fresh strips, uh, that's a big thing. Man, when we were fall strip tilling, it got night and we didn't have, at that time, we didn't have the new modern lighted tractors. You know, the old 1486 that you've seen on that Ross and zone till and I'm trying to see the strips. You almost had to quit at night. You just couldn't find the strips. Uh, our ground is mellower uh, from the freeze-thaw cycles. Uh, We've got our fertility mixed in that whole root zone instead of the hot spot seven, eight inches deep like you do from a shank machine. And for us, it's a lot less rock to pick up than running a shank. You're always pulling up rock and like say, and when harvest is done, our field work is done. Or better yet, when harvest is done, then we got time to go out and do some tiling for that last 10 days of good fall weather. And we can get our drainage done. It tightens up the spring spring workload. Uh, downtime with the strip tiller is downtime with the planter. Like, say, we run that thing, you know, our our goal is twenty-four hours ahead of the planter. If for whatever reason the strip tiller goes down, the planter's gotta stop too. Uh, especially this spring, everything happened that first way that Week in May, our fertilizer dealer was backlogged on labor getting, you know, they were spraying and spreading dry and ammonia. Uh, it took one of us running our fertilizer tender back and forth to the dealer to stay, keep the strip tiller running, uh, where normally he can come out and just refill our, our tender. Just a quick thing on strip till soybeans. We played around a little bit several years ago. Uh, did some 30-inch rows with a low rate of fertilizer, just some uh, uh, AMS and DAP, I believe. Uh, comparing it to no-till 10-inch rows at that time, we were running a 750 drill when we did this comparison. Uh, gained a little bit of yield on the strip. Dollar-wise, it was just a wash between the 10-inch rows and strip-tilling with fertility. Uh, there's some of the results. Uh, I kinda threw some numbers together over the last six years. Uh, we have consistently produced 10% above what Butler County's net, uh, reported NAST yield has been. My crop insurance guy says I have one of the highest APHs on not the highest quality ground overall. And this is a common sight in the combine that bumping grain tank is full and there's powerpoint by clay and there's our return on investment get the heck out of here and head north and keep the trails clean so well
0: thank you jeff and clay for sharing your experience and advice on maintaining a flexible strip till system and an in-depth examination of banding versus broadcast application of nutrients. Once again, if you haven't done so, you can subscribe to this podcast series on iTunes or the Google Play Store get an alert when future episodes are released. A big takeaway for me from today's program is the value of an on-farm experimentation and having test plots. Jeff and Clay emphasized during several points how they've taken the initiative to test and analyze different fertilization strategies and equipment setups to suit their operation rather than relying solely on research they've worked to refine their strip till system throughout the years to the point where they're consistently productive and profitable again we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor thurston manufacturing for helping make this strip till farmer podcast series possible i certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262 777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free Strip-Till Strategies e-newsletter and be sure to follow us on Twitter at strip striptillfarmer.com MR, and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Finally, a reminder and invitation to attend the 4th Annual National Strip-Tillage Conference, which will be coming up on August 3rd and 4th next year in Omaha, Nebraska. Look for more information and updates on the conference at www.striptillconference.com. Well, I hope you'll join us again on October 12th for the next episode in our 2016 podcast series. Managing Strip-Till Residue for Maximum Corn-on-Corn Yields, where Illinois strip-tiller Cade Bushnell will discuss his strategies and methods for not only managing, but maximizing the benefits of residue in a long-term corn-on-corn strip-till field. For Jeff and Clay Wrights, Thurston Manufacturing, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jackson Licka, thanks for listening.